0: Good morning, I'm John Davies. This is my wife Lynn. We're going to read out of Ephesians
1: for you today. Good morning. Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of Lord that art that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, May give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great mind that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. For above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills all in all.
0: Join me in prayer, please. Father, we do give you thanks today. We give you thanks for the area churches who are reclaiming your word, for the Christians in the neighborhoods who are uh, getting to know their neighbors and spreading that hope. Lord, we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit who gives us the knowledge and understanding to know uh, the greatness that you have given us. Lord, you have given us an inheritance that is immeasurable. It is amazing. Lord, you've given us the greatest gift that this world has ever had, and half the time we just take it for granted. Um, We don't sing hallelujah. We don't give you the praise that you deserve. So, Lord, today we ask that you speak uh, through Lance. Uh, Open the eyes of our heart to gain more wisdom and understanding and how to share this amazing gift that you've given us. Uh, Lord, we ask that you give us eyes to see, ears to hear hearts to understand, uh, minds to understand, and hearts to believe. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, pardon me.
2: Here we are in Ephesians now. We've been jumping all over the place uh, as we have been uncovering uh, this beautiful truth that we have been given this gift of a person, and that person is no ordinary person. It is Uh, In fact, the gift of the person of the Holy Spirit, it is God himself that lives inside of believers. So all summer long, if you've not been here, we've been going through and we'll continue to go through a series that we've called Empowered, that's life by the Spirit ultimately. And so far, here's what we've covered in our several weeks together, particularly over here at Bowie Middle School. We've talked about the spirit of power, which came at Pentecost, the power to do what? A lot of things, but Right, The first thing was to be his witness right in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. He then came to give us life. It is the spirit of life that regenerates our heart. We talked about that regenesis, that rebirth that happens only because the spirit invades us far before we ever awaken to him. He was doing something in our hearts to bring us alive to him. It is the spirit of life. We then talked about the spirit of truth. That the spirit of truth would lead us into all truth. Ultimately, that we'd be reminded of Jesus' words and ways and live them out, excuse me. The last thing that Kobe brought to us last week was the spirit of adoption. That we've been brought into his family. We were once orphans. We were once lost. And his blood not only bought our freedom, but a ticket to the table for all of eternity. Where we get to feast on his goodness and his grace and his mercy for all time. And that is a beautiful truth that if we could just, if we just kept going in the spirit of adoption, we'd have three or four weeks, but we have to pick and choose as we go, and today, it is the spirit, if you didn't catch it, the spirit of wisdom and revelation, wisdom and revelation, and already you're going, okay, this feels a little bit further out there than what I'd hoped and not so much in here, but let's just hang with me, I think, I think, if I was to ask for a raise of hands, which I'm not asking for, to be clear, uh, but if I was to ask for a raise of hands we have one volunteer already two volunteers already okay we don't need any more hands i'm clearly not asking for a raise of hands Um, but if i did and i asked you do you need wisdom you would probably raise your hand and um and some of you still can't follow instructions that's okay that's fine (laughs) i'm not mad at you Um, but we do need wisdom we are a world that is flooded with info like back in the day when the internet was invented, which I was around then when that happened, um, and most of you were too, but for you students, there was a time where the internet didn't exist. And when it became a thing, it was known as, this is what they, they, they sold us, as like, what is this internet thing? Um, they, they sold it as the information superhighway, like that was supposed to make it easier to understand what it is that they were putting in our homes through these new things called computers, But uh, it is, we are a world that is flooded with information, and yet we lack wisdom. And if you're sitting there going, I'm a pretty wise person, let me give us some proof that you also will then go, I don't like that. And I'm going to go, I know, and that's okay. Of the, like, I don't know how to discern the, the most popular churches or pastors, but I'm thinking, just as a pastor, where are we discerning? Uh, Where are we getting wisdom? Where are we getting spiritual truths um, as like a nation? And so I went to Google, and I Googled top 10 YouTube channels for churches in America. Here's how I know we're lacking wisdom. Seven out of the 10 are either teaching the prosperity gospel, which is no gospel at all, or the ancient heresy of modalism, and you know the prosperity gospel because it lives in our city, but the ancient heresy of modalism you may not know, uh, touted by the great Bishop T.D. Jakes, that most of you probably have a book on your bookshelf or have listened to a sermon. He is a modalist, y'all. I know this because I have called his ministry and like gotten proof from them on what they believe. What is modalism? It is the ancient heresy that God appears in three different modes over time, that the Holy Spirit was not eternal, Jesus is not eternal, Father is not eternal, but that in the Old Testament, God appears as Father. And in the New Testament, God appears as Son. And as we go on after the New Testament, God appears as the Holy Spirit. That is an ancient heresy called modalism, that God appears in three different modes and not intimate people that coexist for all of eternity and right now you all are going okay unsubscribe unsubscribe 7 out of 10 millions and millions and millions and millions and billions probably of listens and subscriptions in our country subscribing to either no gospel at all or an ancient heresy we lack not knowledge. We lack wisdom. Paul said the church is to be a pillar and buttress of the truth. Did you know that's in the Bible? A pillar and buttress, a support of the truth, and yet we live in a world where a famous blogger and, 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 and author, Tim Challies, would say this, Sata- Satan's greatest ambassadors are not pimps. I don't know why he starts with pimps, but he starts with pimps. Satan's greatest ambassadors are not pimps, politicians, or power brokers, but pastors. Ouch. So I have the supreme privilege to hopefully bring you wisdom, spiritual wisdom on a weekly basis. And our team of teachers labors intensely for hours upon end to make sure that what we're saying and giving to you is not a puppet of our enemy, but instead a propositional truth that can set you free exactly like we just sang. We need it again and again and again. It is not facts that we lack, but it is spiritual knowledge applied in wisdom to further prove the point. I'm going to give you three statements that are very popular today, and I want you to see if you can discern where they're wrong, because they're all wrong. Some of you are like, no, I think that's right. Let's go over the first one. Through baptism, we are freed from sin and reborn as sons of God. We become members of Christ, are incorporated into the church, and made sharers in her mission. That sounds good. Except it's not true. In baptism, we are not freed from sin. In forgiveness of sins, are we freed from sin. In the finished work of Jesus, are we freed from sin. We don't add to that by getting baptized. Do you see how easy it is to get duped? That's Catholic doctrine, 101. That you were born in sin and baptism washes away your original sin. Not true. By the way... In 90% of my conversations with baptism, this is the one thing that I usually c- correct, that we're usually thinking, I want to restart, I want to get my life right, and so baptism is the way. Baptism is not the way. The way is Jesus. His forgiveness is the way. You see how it's easy. Oh, let me give you one more. Ooh, this one's going to go. You're like, ooh, you're, you're so against uh, Catholicism. I mean, not really. I mean, yes, but no. No. Also, not against uh, Baptists either, because this is where this one's coming from. You ready? Uh, if you've never trusted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, just pray this prayer after me. Lord Jesus, I also, I apparently have to get real Southern when I do this. <laughs> Lord Jesus, I admit to you, sorry, that I'm a sinner and I need you. Please come into my heart and forgive me of my sins. And if you just prayed that prayer, friend, and believe with all your heart, you're a Christian. Not true. You don't become a Christian because of a prayer you prayed. You become a Christian because of the gift of eternal life through grace and faith, working together as a gift from God. Inviting Jesus into my heart actually isn't in the Bible, though we have popularized it. And many of us would go, I became a believer after I prayed a prayer. Praise God. He uses all kinds of things to bring people close to him. I'm not dogging on that. Right? We all start somewhere. Praise the Lord that he brought us in. And then finally, oh, man, mm, this is on uh, all kinds of uh, websites. We believe that as part of Christ's work of salvation, it is the Father's will for believers to become whole, healthy, and successful in all areas of life, including spiritual health, mental and emotional health, physical health, and financial health. And if you're thinking, well, that's just the church down the road. No, that's actually the church that our women listened to in 2021 at the if gathering with Michael Todd and Transformation Church. It's a prosperity gospel. It's a false gospel. And you're thinking, well, how dare you dog on the ladies that way? I got more for us later. Okay, just hang tight. I'm not dogging on it, because I can guarantee you right now. They asked me, hey, are you good with that? Absolutely. I think it's great. You just. Sneaking its way into the church ever so gently and, and quietly until it's there. And they're like the top two or three subscribed church in America. It's a prosperity gospel. It's not the gospel. And here's what we'll find as we go. Most false teaching comes from, hang with me, I'm going to use some words. Most false teaching comes from an overrealized, an over-realized eschatology. Whoa. Eschatology just means study of, the, of, of, the, of the, the end times, study of the last things. It's an overrealized eschatology, an overrealized reality or desire that the kingdom must come now. That all these promises that you see in the scripture, um, that ultimately I do believe that God will, will provide spiritual health, mental, uh, and emotional well being, that he will finally physically heal me but not here, not now, one day in the kingdom when it fully arrives on the earth and the whole earth is made new and Jesus fully sits on his throne, fully establishes his rule forever and ever. It's in that day, not in the here and now. And so there's this over you're pulling into the, from the future into the present and trying to make this place heaven. And so you start to start to claim some things Name it and claim it came from this reality. God's already given it to you in eternity. You just got to bring it down from heaven with your prayers. You see, we need wisdom, and we need revelation from the Lord's word. We need this. This is in us. If you don't think this is in us, it's in us. I'll demonstrate this as we go further, as I said. But look, this is why Paul's prayer for Ephesus, the church in Ephesus, is relevant for us today, Let's look at his prayer right here in verses 15 through 17. I just wanna read the first part to help us understand what it is that Paul is asking for them and therefore God wants for us. He says, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith, in verse 15, in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints. I want you to hear this. Ephesus is really good at two things that you would think most churches should be good at, loving God and loving others. They're really good at those. And you know it's not enough? You know, Paul is still concerned for them. Paul asks for more. We should too. Let's keep reading. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I don't know if you're praying for people. I don't know if you're thinking about people that, are, that have come into the family of God. But it is a regular practice that you should have to be incessantly praying for, those, for these things. Not just that they're really good at, at their faith and loving others, but there's more. Look. Uh, that the God, this is what he keeps now praying, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Paul wants for Ephesus and God wants for us a, the spirit to give us knowledge and wisdom. Now I want you to notice something for the first time with the spirit as we've been going through it. This is the first time that something has not been guaranteed for you with the spirit's presence, Right? He gave you power. He says, I will bring you power. I have brought you into my family with a spirit of adoption. I will lead you into the truth with the Spirit's presence in your life. But now that is not guaranteed. He has to pray for more wisdom and more revelation. And so this tells us that though the Spirit is fully here in our hearts, there is an experience difference for those that are walking in step with the Spirit, and dare I say, in wisdom and revelation with the Spirit. It is, you cannot presume upon God in this way. You must depend and plead and pray with Him to give you wisdom. He is here, He is giving. And yet he wants you even more so to depend on that all the more. Before he gave you power, he gave you new life, he leads you into the truth, he adopted you. But now Paul prays and God reiterates to us today that we must have it in increasing measure. His bottom line is this, salvation loses its full impact if all we think about is then and there, eternity, and it's not something that we think about right here, right now. How is it going to affect my life when I leave this very still in the air room? How is this going to affect our life? Well, I think in order to understand that, we need to get clarity on the two terms that he talks about here, wisdom and revelation, and then we'll get into the content of why he's doing all this very quickly at the end. First, wisdom. It is the marriage of knowledge and practice. You know what to do, and then you knew you know when to do it and how to do it. That's wisdom. You see it throughout all the scriptures. You see it in James 3. If you want to go look at these scriptures later, we don't have time to, to, to really unpack all of them. But James 3, 1 Corinthians 2. You also see it in Colossians 1 when it says this. Colossians 1, 9 through 12 should come up on your screen. It's a parallel passage, and you'll see a lot of the same themes that Paul is praying, not just for the church at Ephesus, but also uh, for the Colossian church. And so he says... From the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So as we walk in a manner, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, do you see the marriage between knowledge and practice coming together to form wisdom, that you know him, and that you walk in a manner worthy of him, that's spiritual wisdom. That's ri- wisdom fed by revelation. And then when you do that, you're fully pleasing to him when you bear fruit and good work, and every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened, now look, with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light." As we unpack this today, you'll start to see that these are some themes that Paul has for all the churches, right? But if you note this, it is called spiritual wisdom in Colossians and wisdom and revelation in Ephesians. It is none other than just wisdom accompanied by God's revelation. It's not just the wisdom of the world, but it is wisdom by the Spirit. So uh, most of us have uh, money, at least some. Right, And you listen to a guy on the radio or on YouTube or um, the Fox Business Channel, and his name is? Okay, three of you are tracking with me, right? Um, Dave Ramsey. And you're thinking, the reason why this guy's made an empire, um, ultimately out of compiling the Bible and then applying it to your finances, is because we need not just any wisdom, we need biblical wisdom, you need biblical wisdom on how to get out of debt. He actually doesn't tell you how to build wealth. I don't know. I mean, maybe he does that on his radio show, but not in financial piece that I've gone through. But like once you get out of debt, what do you do? You then need spiritual wisdom on how to manage your dollars after that. It's the same thing with counseling. Mo- many of us, I-, I almost said most. It's probably better to say most. Uh, most of us probably need some counseling on some level or another. And so let me just give a caution in that. Don't just go to any Christian counselor. Don't just go to any Christian counseling center. And for those of you that have looked for counseling in the Houston area, you know there is one called the Houston Center for Christian Counseling. And just because they have the Houston Center for Christian Counseling on their doorframe does not mean, friends, that they are rooted in the gospel, that they're going to give you sound Christian biblical advice. You cannot entrust your soul... You cannot entrust your mental state with just anyone who does not have the spirit of wisdom and revelation inside of them. So let's be careful. Let's get the help that we need. Let's be careful in discerning on what that might look like. If they have an intake form, you also should interview them. Tell me about your biblical understanding of the spiritual life. Tell me about your theology of the Holy Spirit. Tell me about your understanding of the sufficiency of Scripture. These things will matter over time. You might be desperate for help, but don't get so desperate that you get the wrong help because that will only be a hurt. We need wisdom. We need wisdom and revelation, and that revelation is also a misunderstood term. It is ultimately this. When you think about uh, revelation, we hear it on TV all the time through those YouTube channels, um, but ultimately, re- uh, revelation, is, it means the unveiling of mysteries which were long unknown. The unveiling of mysteries that were long unknown. If you get uh, you're, you get real happy in your Bible this week, you can go to Ephesians 3, you can go to Romans 16, and you can see some of these mysteries that God says, I am now making known to you for the first time. One of them being the Gentiles were included in God's plan, plan of, uh, of, of salvation in Ephesians 3. Did you know that if you're a Gentile in the room, which I think, eh, let me do a quick uh, count, Oh yeah, 100% of us, um, have some, sort, some Gentile part of us, even if we're Jewish in our, uh, in our heritage, there's, most of us are Gentile, it was a grand mystery for thousands of years that you would be included in the household of God. That Paul then goes, it is a mystery that I've been given, a revelation that I've been given, that I now reveal to you that all the nations are included in God's plan of salvation. Romans 16 also says that it is the gospel, the full understanding of the gospel, that is it is Jesus' name was an unveiled, unfolding revelation over time. They didn't know his name in the Old Testament. They just knew there was a Messiah coming. So here's the point. <clears throat> Something which was hidden is now revealed by God's spirit. Now let me just get real um, seminarian for you. If I haven't been there already, I'm going to really go there just for a moment. There's three things we need to know about Revelation. If you're taking notes, this is a great place to do it. One is there's general revelation. This is um, the way God reveals himself and his characteristics throughout all of nature. You can look out and it says the heavens declare the glory of God. Romans 1 tells you that all of creation is proclaiming to all the world that there is a God. And that general revelation is just enough for condemnation. So there's no such thing as some, some, some poor person in Asia or Africa that just hasn't heard the gospel, but they're a really good person, and they're going to hell if they don't hear the gospel. That that's actually doesn't exist. The Bible is clear. Romans 1 tells us that the general revelation from the world proclaims to them that God uses all of nature, the earth, the, 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 the stars, the moon, to proclaim to that person that he is real. And they are condemned. Why mission is necessary. Why we are sent to go tell them the good news of the gospel. Because it's not just general revelation that's out there. It's also special revelation that is needed for salvation. You see this in Acts chapter 9 when when, when Saul is riding into Damascus on his horse. And he's ready to go kill and imprison uh, uh, Christians, right? And what happens? But a special, special revelation. God himself shows up and says, Paul, Paul, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? it's kind of, it's time now to believe right that's special revelation and all of that general and then special all of that is progressively revealed over time it's called progressive revelation so now you're in you're in theology 101 we will now get out of theology 101 because only 3 of you will really like that anyway so general special progressive That over time, God reveals more and more of his plan, more specifically, and it culminates in the person of Jesus. And it gets wrapped up in the scriptures. That this is basically the only thing that we need to understand God's character, truly, specially. All of scriptures God breathed and able to teach us, rebuke us, and equip us for every good work. It is the scriptures where it all culminates into this special and yet progressive revelation. So we really don't need anything further than this for all of life. So we get all that and we go, okay, wisdom and revelation. And God is asking that we would grow in these things. And then he basically just goes off on a tangent that's really long that we need to understand you may be asking, why do we need wisdom and revelation? Well, Paul seems to think that there are three things, ultimately, that we need to know. Number one, in, in, in Ephesians 1.18, I'm just going to go through these rather quickly here as we end. And when I say quickly, I really mean probably about 15 more minutes. I'm a pastor, after all. Uh, when I say finally, it really means I've got three more things to say. Um, first, in, in Ephesians 1.18, right? Um, It says this, well, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ in 17, the, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, what is the reason why we need all this? That you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. The reason why we need wisdom and revelation is because we have a grand tendency to have a misplaced hope. We don't have a hope of our calling. We have a hope in all kinds of other things. So remember when I said earlier, um, and I was kind of dogging on the, the ladies, which I really wasn't, but you may have taken it that way, that um, that in, in false teaching, it kind of it just it, it infiltrates the church, and the way that it does it is through an over-realized eschatology. We take promises from God which are meant for the eventual fulfillment in eternity, and we apply them fully and wholly to now. That's going to lead you into despair. And here's how it has infiltrated not just, oh, like the If Gathering long ago or the YouTube channels of today, but also into our worship culture. So all the students just went away, and um, they went to camp, and and the song that, like, they jammed out to the most was Heaven Invade. And you know why we're not going to sing that song here at the Grove? Because it says this. All depression must end. It will. One day. All sorrow will be gone. Every tear will be wiped away. One day. But it, not, it, it must not end now. One day it will. We, we, oh, I'm not dogging on the camp culture either because we've sung a song. We probably still sing a song this, this way too. But it's on the radio and it has different words on the radio or at least a tag at the end. Then what we sing in here, it's called Waymaker, right? You get to the end of Waymaker on the radio, and it says, your name is above cancer. Your name is above depression. True statements. But if we're not careful, discerning, understanding, full of wisdom and revelation, we can start to have some misplaced hope for the here and now that all of a sudden, that means my cancer will be healed. That means that my depression will be gone. And it will, one day. He will make all things new. But we must journey, friends, in faithfulness and with the true hope with which God has called us. And it's not just that we have smooth circumstances, that we don't get sick, and that we're not mentally disturbed at points. We're all going to get sick, and we're all going to have mental bouts with darkness. Now, here's what I know. In 2008, the depressant rates of young people was about 20 to 25%. And that was the case from like a long time, decades. 20 to 25%. Since 2008 to today, they have skyrocketed. They're at about 45 to 50% depressant rates amongst young young people. So since 2008, something has happened. And I saw this on the good old social media from a, uh, actually a, a former partner of ours, Matthew Kaming, who has a Ph.D. in this stuff, right? And as I saw it, I just thought, oh, my gosh, we are a hurting country, and we lack wisdom. What happened in 2008? All kinds of things. But I do know of two things that infiltrates and scientifically, is starting to depress more, especially teenage girls, than anything else. And it's two things. Number one, unbridled access to a smartphone. And number two, on that smartphone, unbridled access to social media. Young, young teenagers in the house, your brain is not fully formed yet. It will take time for your brain to be fully formed. If you start to, look, I'll tell you right now, as a grown adult, it's been hard for me to adjust to the world of social media. Guarantee you, you don't even know because you didn't know what life was like before it. It's damaging to your souls, and your parents are good and right to say no. And all of you went, I don't like you anymore. You were fun before, but now, no thank you. <laughs> Wisdom and revelation because we have a mist placed hope if you are depressed friends there is hope and healing in the person of jesus not in smooth circumstances not in not in healing although like we I've, i've witnessed healing i pray for it i plead for it it doesn't keep me from asking but i can't demand it that makes me something that i'm not See, all these things are probably true, like depression must end. His name is above cancer. His name is above depression. All these things are true that God will ultimately heal us in these ways, but it is not in the here and now, but the then and there. So it's not just in smooth circumstances or uh, things like that. Here's some other ways that we have misplaced hope. Number one, uh, with people that you love. If you love, if you love to get love, In the way that you love, that's self centeredness, friends. If you love to get love in the way that you love, this is nothing more than just self serving self centeredness. You're actually not seeing the other person for who they are and sacrificially loving them the way they need love. So this happens in our marriages, this happens when we're parenting, this happens in church community, this happens at work. This happens in all sorts of different places, friendships, all really good things, but, but terrible gods to bow down to and serve so that you might get something from that. Human institutions, governments, schools, even churches, if your hope is in people instead of first finding your hope in Jesus, you will be severely disappointed. If you look for smooth circumstances, you play it safe. You earn smooth circumstances after serving God or just avoiding drama, always to miss God's work in your life. God wants our hope to be in our proper place, and it says, the hope in which you were called. What is that hope? Do you know that Paul just got done talking about it? So if you've got your Bible open, let's just go up to verse 3. Of chapter 1 you guys seeing this here we go this is the hope not in smooth circumstances not in loving those to get love not in human institutions or even a church in people but in this blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us oh man here we go here's the calling here's the blessings in Christ with which every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So he's blessed us with every blessing, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. I don't know when you thought the foundation of the world was, but before that, he had you in mind. That's the hope that you have. Before that, he knew you, and he chose you to be adopted and predestined to be in his family. Now that's hope that I can get behind. I can't get behind hope that that in people or institutions or anything else, or getting stuff from people, my hope is in that kind of love, which only one person can give me. Blessed that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. He makes us that way. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Whose will? His will. To the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. His name is Jesus. In him, we have redemption through his blood. Not through my works, not through baptism, not through praying a prayer. Through him, we have redemption through his blood. Forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Keep reading which he lavished upon us. Did he just sprinkle a little dash of grace on us? No, he just, he drenched us with grace. He lavished that grace on us in all wisdom and insight. That's that word again, making known to us. There's the revelation to us, the, the mystery of his will. There's the outworking of that revelation according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on the earth. You gotta keep Going in him, we have obtained an inheritance. That's what John Davies prayed for. Man, we just know what kind of inheritance we have in you, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will everything is working out not according to my will when i want my depression to end now or my cancer to never have been there to begin with but the counsel of his will so that we who are the first to hope in christ might be to the praise of his glory in him jesus you also when you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation Man, when you believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So you can't lose salvation. He sealed it in your heart. And that Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. That's all right there. What a beautiful truth. No wonder he says, hey, look, as good as people are, they're not your hope. As fun as the game of politics is for some of us, that's not your hope. As beautiful as your children are, your hope is not there. As great as your neighborhood group is, your hope isn't found there either. Or achievement or accumulation. Like right now, isn't that the time where you start looking on HAR? You haven't been on HAR since last September, but now you're on it again. It's called coveting and jealousy. At least it is for me. I start looking at that pool and I just start going, "Mm, yeah, baby, give me that pool sin it's not good yet god has come to set us free from all these things my hope is not in these things no it is not in smooth circumstances or in anything else and god knows that and he wants us to have our hope secured, which means it has to be in the right thing, in the calling which you have in Christ Jesus, your salvation. And you think about all the things that he did to save you, secure you, and seal you for all time. And you can never get enough of that. But that's not the only thing he talks about. He also talks about in the end of Verse 18, he says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches, listen now, this is the second thing he wants you to to know with wisdom and revelation. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? This is different now. Before he prayed and I just read that we have an inheritance and that the Holy Spirit has come to guarantee that inheritance. Our inheritance is our Father." by the blood of his son, by the power of his spirit. That's our inheritance. But this says something different. This says that we may know something else, not just the hope which we have. We would know the riches of his glory in, in, glorious inheritance in the saints. Hold up. Say what now? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Like you weren't the last pick in heaven's game of dodgeball. where like, you're just sitting there and you're wondering like, I don't know if he's gonna see me or not. I just, uh, like we play Chase the Rabbit in softball and baseball and you can see the same thing happen every time on Chase the Rabbit. You split up the teams, you go one at second base, you go one at home, you appoint a captain because I wanna, I wanna implement some, some leadership skills and they have to pick their teams and you can see the same thing happen almost every time. The bigger kids get picked last and you can see the countenance on their face just start to fall and fall and fall. Usually the bigger kids are actually the fastest ones. They just don't know it. Eight-year-olds just want their friends on their team. Bad strategy, Moses. (laughs) Bad strategy. You better get Liam on your team, bro, because he's going to smoke everybody. But this is the reality, that sometimes we think in God's family or God's team that he picked us last, and we're just like, oh, man, I guess he'll have me. The, The riches of his glorious inheritance in you. He inherits you. You don't just inherit him. Get that in your mind. Think about that. No wonder, he says, you grow in wisdom and in revelation, and that just like in any adoption, right, not only does the orphan come into a household, but the parent now gets an inheritance too. They get children to gloat over and to enjoy, and perhaps to correct and discipline along the way. But there is a double inheritance that goes on in any adoptive family. And what God is telling us is that we're his adopted children, and he dotes over us. And he can't wait until we get there with him where he goes, have you seen my man, Kavika, how he served the church all those years? Man, what a beautiful story. Kavika, come over here and tell your story. Okay, in front of all of heaven, yeah, 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 come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. You're my son. He's not mad at you. He doesn't wag his finger at you or shake his head at you. He, you're, if you're fully forgiven, then guess what? Every sin you ever committed was in the future to Jesus. And he knew it. And he forgave you if you would believe. So every sin that we'll commit from here on out, it's always been the future to him. We go, oh, he's forgiven me of the past, but I don't think he's going to be able to forgive me of all that might happen in the future. First of all, quit trying to sin. Second of all, God knows. He brings you close to him. But you know why? Because you are worth riches to God. The glorious riches of his inheritance in the saints, the church. Wow. Wow. Does this affect how you view God and he's not mad at you? He's not shaking his finger at you? Of course. He's your father who's adopted you and his family and he dotes over you. He's given you every spiritual blessing that you never knew you needed. You ever have like a parent that loved you so much that he gave you or she gave you things that you didn't even know you needed yet? Me either, except for the father. Because parents, like early parents, don't know that stuff. But our father knows, finally, this time for real. It's the last thing that, that Paul wants us to know. He wants us to be, to grow in our wisdom and revelation of God's sovereign providence. Now, I know that's a big mouthful. but Here's what it ultimately means. God's in charge and you're not. Now, he says it more eloquently in verse 19 through 23. And what is, again, he's saying, I want you to know, I want you to grow in the knowledge. I want you to grow in wisdom and grow in revelation, not just in the hope that he's called you, not just in the, the fact that like, God is inheriting you, and that's a rich and glorious inheritance, but also in verse 19, and what is the immeasurable, immeasurable, immeasurable greatness of his power Toward us who believe. You ever want to know what his power looks like to those who believe? I do. And he says this. According to the working of his great might. How is he working his great might? That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Oh man. Far above every rule and authority and power and dominion. A little little bit of, of a little bit above. He didn't barely just win, eked it out by a nose. Woo, that was a tough one. Far above. Every power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as the head over all things to the church. Jesus is a gift to the church that the world will never appreciate or understand, which is his body, the church. The fullness of Him who fills all in all. God wants us to know His immeasurable power toward us who believe, and that is demonstrated in the working of His great might in both the resurrection and the ascension, where He raised Jesus far above every power, every authority, every dominion, every name. And more than that, Jesus is our head, that is the supreme source of authority and rank, and nothing happens outside of the perfect, sovereign will and reign and beautiful good that is our God. God's desire is for us to put our hope in his might, not in our own. And when we wonder what his might is capable of, Or if he's attentive to our needs. We are to gaze at the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus, which are not just historical facts that happened a long time ago, but it is with spiritual knowledge and revelation and wisdom, the source ultimately of our truest hope. So if you've ever wondered if you're gonna get over that sin, you know. If you've ever wondered, if you'll always just be someone who struggles with that, what's going to be told next week, the spirit of holiness, of sanctification, is that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in you. It's the power and the presence and the spirit of resurrection is in you. If you've ever wondered if your marriage will ever get back on track, remember all the enemies of our Savior are going to be brought underneath the lordship and sovereign reign of Jesus, including selfishness and pride and everything else that wrecks a good marriage. That will all ultimately be brought underneath the reign of Jesus. But we want smooth circumstances. We want to not be sick. Me too. Me too. But when those days come, how will we know God is still powerful? i read you one quote and then we'll be done. It's from A.W. Pink. He says this, To say that God is sovereign is to declare that he is the almighty, the possessor of all power in heaven and on earth, so that no one can defeat his counsel. Do you believe that? No one can defeat his wisdom, his counsel. No one can thwart his purpose or resist his will. The sovereignty of the God of Scripture is absolute, irresistible, infinite. Skip ahead. God does as he pleases, only as he pleases, always as he pleases, that whatever takes place in time is but the outworking of that which he decreed in eternity. God is not handcuffed by the either ors of this world. He's always seen a third option. And He is not twisting His arm or having His arm twisted when suffering comes into your home. Only as He wills, always as He wills, right? Always. So, friend, if you are not steadied by the providential sovereignty of God, you will be tossed to and fro by every wind and wave of doctrine and every motion that comes with unsmooth circumstances. And you'll have three choices. And perhaps some of you are dealing with these three choices. Maybe not in this moment, perhaps in the last week or in the week to come. When life doesn't work out the way you thought it was gonna work out, three choices are before you. One was given by Job's wife to Job. Just curse God and die. Just be done with him and be done here. It's one choice. I would encourage you not to have that choice. If you're thinking about taking that choice, please reach out to someone that you know loves you no matter what. You can start with me. You can start with the elders of our church. You can start with your neighborhood group leader that love you no matter what. And if you're not a neighborhood group leader, or you're not a neighborhood group, which if you're struggling with that, taking your own life perhaps, you're probably not. You're probably isolated. You're probably alone. Today is the day that ends, friend. Come and get help. We will receive you. We will love you. We've, we've been there. So come and get help. You could curse God and you could die. You could try your best to avoid pain. Have fun with that one. That ends with just you sitting on a recliner watching Fox News when you're old. That's what that ends with. Oh, sorry, I offended all of you. CNN when you're old. I do apologize. You avoid pain, which is impossible. At the very end, your life gets smaller and smaller and smaller, and there's no risk associated with your life. No people, then, to intervene. You're just home. You avoid pain. Or the third thing is that you put your hope in the better truth that God is working something good. Let me pray together, pray for us and with us, and I want us in our prayer to ask our God for something. Our Father in heaven, we all need wisdom. We all need revelation that depends on you and your spirit. So in this moment, in a world that's full of knowledge and wants his people to grow in that knowledge, but also in wisdom and revelation i pray that in this moment right now we would ask you these questions lord where are we confused would you reveal to us o oh, spirit of revelation and wisdom where we're confused where we're lost where we're where we need you the most Where have we misplaced our hope? Where have we forgotten our worth? Where have we trusted in other things besides your sovereign hand? Spend some extra time there because to identify that is really hard. And we ask you, O Holy Spirit, to reveal to us where we need you the most. Where are we confused? Where are we lost? Where have we wandered? Where have we misplaced our hope? And then let's take a moment just to repent. Because on some level, we've probably tried to figure out the way without you. Perhaps we've mistook your blessings for your presence. And we've gotten the things we've wanted, but we've missed you altogether. Spirit of wisdom and revelation, would you reveal these things to us and give us wisdom? And as we close, before we sing, let's ask, O Holy Spirit for that wisdom and revelation from you to lead us into the truth, lead us into the right way to marry knowledge and practice, to live a life worthy of all these things that you've given us. Help us, O Lord, to follow you in these ways. Would you give us all that we need to do so for your glory and not our own. In Jesus' name, amen.